So, actually, I thought I'd talk about something that uh, has come up uh, quite a bit while I've been here uh, in interviews and in some of the discussions that I've had with people. It seemed to be kind of up, so I thought it might be a nice thing to address. And it's this whole question of intention, you know, that, uh, this idea that we ha uh, have choice, and, uh, you know, <laughs> which right there is <laughs> an interesting one. Uh, but just this sense of, you know, who's running the show and um, how, if there is this whole purification of the mind process, you know, what part do I play in that, if you will? You know, intention in the Buddhist teachings is really, really rich and very interesting teaching and one that really invites you to reflect upon. Hopefully I can offer some thoughts that might be um, helpful in that process for you this morning. Just a few things that um, it's worth putting on the table before we um, get into it. Um, looking at how Buddhism holds intention, it's a little bit different than we think about it in sort of our everyday waking life. Um, you know, it's a very, very subtle and a basic volitional urge that arises literally in every movement of the mind, in every moment of the mind. There's, it's like it's this thing that wills things to happen, volition. Um, and um, it, it's not thought. It, you know, it can feel like thought. Or when we think about it, you know, it's like, you know, there's something in me that is putting together what it is I want to do. And that takes the form of a thought. But it's not like that. It's much, uh, that's really a much more coarse perception or experience than what we're talking about. It's a very subtle kind of, you know, that's, it's like this, this beginning of action or something that precedes action. So, and it's present in every single moment. Every single moment there is this uh, volitional urge. So it, uh, Buddha says that it forms the basis of all of our actions. One of the, first, one of the things in the uh, suttas, so he says, having willed, one acts through body, speech, and mind. Having formed an intention, this is when we act. So actions don't occur without this kind of uh, urge, without this kind of formation in the mind. And it really is. It's a sankara. It's a mental formation in the mind. So literally, it is where all the action is. Everything that we think, say, and do is being born out of this kind of volitional urge. So you can see it's pretty immense if, you, if you're trying to purify the mind. Consider the uh, implications of getting some understanding about how this thing operates. Now, it's directly linked with what we are experiencing right now in this moment. So it has everything to do with the present moment, you know, whether you're happy or sad or feeling heavy or lighthearted or, or whatever. Um, it, this is actually the play of intention in the mind. It's as if in, in each, each moment there's this whole range of possibilities. We could be anything. <laughs> we could be feeling anything right now. And yet what is determining that is sort of uh, is the intention. It's kind of like intention um, governs where our attention lands. It's, like, it's almost like if you can slow it down, this is way, way artificial, but if you sort of get this sense of, you know, the, uh, attention is trying in every moment. It's, it's got to land somewhere. It's going to attend to this. We're going to attend to that. We're going to attend to that. 
And uh, so you can feel how subtle that is. And then go underneath that and get this sense of intention is actually sort of the director. It's telling attention where to land. Right? So very, very important. So Buddha um, told us that there are six kinds of intention that uh, form the basis of all of our actions. And three of these are unskillful, which is the classical things that we talk about so much in Buddhism, greed, hatred, and delusion. But these are, I mean, it's, it, uh, it's often deceiving to think only in terms of like these coarse levels of greed, hatred, and delusion. It's sort of just these subtle movements of the mind to lean and want something, to try to get away from it, or to just completely check out. That these are, uh, they're called unskillful because they are the roots of suffering. They're the, the basis. Whenever we're caught in any of those states of mind, we're suffering. So that, that's why he, you know, he's unskillful in the Buddhist language. Is, it just means that. Uh, unskillful, unwholesome. We can get caught in these kinds of words, like, you know, there's something bad about it. And um, bad only in the sense that when we're caught in them, we're not in a happy state of mind. We're suffering. And the whole Buddhist teachings are about getting us out of that condition of suffering. So you can see why he's uh, trying to discern the difference between how it is that we get caught in that and how to get out of it. So the other three are called skillful or wholesome. And these are non-greed, non-hatred, and non-delusion. You just sort of get the sense of that when the mind isn't moving you know, what we're talking about here is a very subtle state. You know, to, to, to have the mind be in a condition of non-greed, non-hatred, and non-delusion. It's a very pure mind, isn't it? It's not caught in any of these states. And there's, in a way, I, I sort of get this feeling of it as not, it's still, <laughs> you know, it's not moving out or away from, and it's not um, in the clouds. It's clear and awake, and alert. So whichever one we intend in any moment, that's what we get. So anything born out of these unskillful states, and these would be like, you know, jealousy and and hatred and envy and uh, just this anger and pushing things away, uh, all of these states would be very, very unpleasant states of mind, very difficult states of mind. And uh, this is, if, if there's any Buddhist definition of hell, <laughs> this is what it is. It's kind of being caught in these realms, being caught in these states of mind. And by contrast, then the heavenly states would be those states that we're calling skillful or, or wholesome, that generosity and kindness and compassion, you know, uh, harmlessness. These beautiful states that are so spacious and have much more of a pure quality to them. So the quality of intention in each moment um, determines our state of mind and heart in that moment. You can see how when you're in those states, that's how you're going to feel. Now, the the choices that we make, interestingly, they, they not only have an effect on the present, but they have an effect on the future as well. Because very much part of these teachings is that how we behave in this moment, it, it, it has a weight you know, it has, and, it, and it carries a certain momentum to it so that, um, it, you know, it, it, it kind of like leans us into the next uh, moment. How it is that we are behaving now will actually be brought to bear on how it is that we'll behave in the very next moment. So that, um, um, you know, if we behave well, we're likely 
to do that in the next moment. If not, then we're likely to do that. So, you know, there's this, this momentum that it carries. And this is not such a far-out idea. I think we, we all can get a sense of this. You know, if the other night I was sitting watching the, a movie eating popcorn, you know, it's, just, it's got this momentum, you know, one delicious bite, and you just keep digging in and grabbing another one, you know. It's that same kind of thing. It's that same kind of energy. So just getting a sense that this is, this is uh, what we're talking about in the Buddhist teachings when we refer to intention. So it's really as if at every moment of our existence, we're sort of standing at a crossroads. You know, just get that image. There's, there's a couple of forks in the road. You know, and we can go in any number of directions. Um, and we can choose like basically a present and a future to some extent that is happy uh, heavenly, <laughs> or one that is difficult and uh, moving more into realms of, of difficulty and as we saw, uh, refer to it as hell. So just reflect on that and consider for a moment, taking that all the way to its logical conclusion. Basically what we're saying, this is a very, very important promise of the Buddhist teachings that is very much linked with the third noble truth. There is cessation of suffering. It can stop. And it's very much linked with this activity of intention in the hearts. We can actually turn our intention in the direction of freedom and and choose to be free from suffering or choose to continue to be caught in it. It's a very profound teaching, isn't it? <laughs> very, very much, very amazing. But I don't know about you, but at this point, then, you know, it's like, well, yeah, but, you know, you get, you, you start to feel that if that's all true, then these obvious questions begin to arise. You know, if I really have that choice, then, you know, I, I look at my behavior and over and over and over again, I keep choosing things that don't take me in the direction of freedom and that actually take me in the direction of more suffering. No matter how, long I've been practicing, no matter how much I want to be awake, you know, no matter how much the urge is there. I mean, just coming here like this, like you do, you know, we just, it's obviously a very, very strong wish to be awake, to be free. And yet we know, I mean, let's be honest, we know how we behave and we know that we continue to do things that don't uh, go along with that, that don't, aren't aligned with that uh, depth of our intention. Or just, you know, things throughout the day in our relationships, activities, things that we know hurt. (laughs) Hurt us, hurt other people. And we find ourselves doing them over and over again. So, so, you know, given the, the obvious nature of the choice before us, why don't we, or won't we, or can't we choose heaven, you know, why doesn't that happen? Fascinating. Why don't we consistently choose it? Having chosen it, we might get a sense of maybe for a moment, yeah, okay, that did it, you know. And then in the next moment, we're right back in the soup, <laughs> doing it all over again. I mean, how many times have you been in that situation? It's like, I wasn't going to do that, <laughs> you know. And, and there you are, doing it again.
So, you know, you get to this point and it's, uh, it's like, there's got to be something more going on here. There's got to be something more. What is it? What's happening? So the, the teachings offer a lot in, in terms of helping us sort out these kinds of moments. And, and to understand why we find it so difficult to, to choose to do good, then um, we just have to get this sense of how intention itself occurs and how it operates. And I think shedding some light on this, then we're in a much better position to be able to work with it more skillfully. So first of all, and this is the biggie, we might as well just get it right out on the table. <laughs> Intention is not self. It is not self. We get, we have this feeling, and this is all predic- all born out of our delusion around the existence of a self. Um, there is this sense that there's, a, I know it's simplistic, but all of us have this feeling that somebody is in here running the show. You know, there's a CEO in charge who's, who's directing the course of our activity, making the decisions, um, and moving us in the directions that we go into. You know, am, am I right? You know, I'm the one who's doing this. I've, I made this choice. But um, the Buddhist teachings say it very clearly in no uncertain terms, that it is simply not this way. It feels like that. There's no question about that. It really feels like that. Um, and one of the be- But one of the best ways to begin to see this is to turn, when we turn to the teaching of the five aggregates, which is, um, you know, you may recall in the Buddhist teachings, Buddha said, pointed out to these five things that we cling to as being who we are. And they're related to body and mind. So that we have the experience of physicality and the experience of uh, mental phenomenon. And over and over again, this is our experience, mind and body. We think we are this mind and body. And when we have experiences at that level, we cling to them and grasp onto them and say that this is who we are. But over and over again throughout the suttas, you'll see it in many, many different places. One of mine, the most favorite, one of my most favorite ones is the, um, the great discourse on the full moon night where the Buddha encourages us over and over again not to regard these five aggregates as self. So now some say that it's harder to get, um, to see them as not self as you go through this progression. And I think that there's some truth in that. Because um, what you see, like most of us, you don't have to be meditating very long. In fact, many people don't have to meditate at all to get a sense that the body is not who we are, that it's operating according to its own rules. <laughs> it's all, it doesn't follow what I want it to do. You know, it just, uh, uh, if I tell it not to age, it's, it's not doing that. My hair is getting gray or my, I'm getting more and more wrinkles, you know. Or if we tell it not to get, if we wish that we um, would not be sick or something, you know, these these various uh, experiences in the body occur, don't they? We don't we don't have control over them. You know, certainly there's things that you can do to try to maintain health, but ultimately, you know, there's a there's a, a, a something that's going on according to its own nature. So most of us can easily get a sense that. The body 
even, even the sensations that one might feel sitting here in meditation. You sit in there minding your own business and then all of a sudden there's this sharp jab, you know, somewhere in the body, you know. Well, I mean, if I had mastery or control over this thing, there's no way I would want that to happen. And, that, you know, I would choose for that not to happen, but it does. So, you know, we can easily, more, most easily, I think, get a sense that that's not in our control. And then when it comes to feeling, you can sort of get a sense pretty easily as you watch feeling, the experience of pleasure and pain, that we're not making that happen. You know, I, I don't know why I like these things and don't like these other things. It just happens. And, and sometimes it's so, one is so happy, you know, just with a, a, a sight or a sound or a smell or something. You just, you know, <laughs> and, and that's, that just happens. It, feeling happens. Feeling occurs. And you can, you know, it doesn't take much looking to begin to relate to that with some form of detachment, which is huge in practice. Because if you can begin to um, relax around the occurrence of pleasant and unpleasant feeling, then we're not, we, our lives become much more relaxed. We're not so driven because we're not, uh, our happiness doesn't depend on pleasant feelings. It doesn't depend on getting away from unpleasant feelings. You can just be with them, you know. So you can notice this, and, and that's, that's not so hard to do. And even when it comes to the third aggregate, which is perception and views, you know, as you get more subtle and more able and you're looking, you can see that these, that, uh, these form in the mind, that we have ideas about things, but we don't have to have our ideas drive our actions. You know, you can have some spaciousness, even around our own ideas, our perceptions. There can be a calm in the presence of that. And even consciousness, I mean, this gets quite subtle. That's the, the fifth aggregate. Um, you know, to, to be able to see a moment of consciousness actually takes um, deep practice. You know, to be able to notice that consciousness itself keeps changing and it's not under my control. That now I see, now I hear, now I smell, now I taste, now I touch, now I think, now I feel. That that's just, that's just going on. You know, I, I'm not really in control of that, but that's happening. So we, we can even get some sense of detaching from the sankharas, which are our karmic patterns and habits. You can see that you might have a strong tendency to get angry under certain conditions or a strong tendency to behave in some other way under certain conditions. But one can get a sense of, you know, just from practice, being able to watch those, those states of mind arise and not get consumed by them. That, you know, if, you're not, if you don't have to be consumed by them, can, you, can, they, can they be you in the way that we used to think they are? You know, you can actually, be, you can actually watch anger and not get caught in it, can't you? And that's that's so that that's that can't be me either, you know. So that that's all of this is is relatively easy, let's say, or at least say possible. To this is the, what happens over the course of practice. You develop a new relationship with this whole world of body mind process. But now intention. <laughs> which is one of the sankaras. It's one of the fourth aggregates. Intention is, it gets tricky, you know. It's, it, it's, uh, it, it, to me, it feels like the last stronghold of self. 
you know, I really, okay, all of that stuff is not me. I can see it's happening all by itself. But I'm the one who's making the choices. I'm the one who's running the show. And just very hard to get a sense of that as uh, separate from who it is that I think I am. So, but, you know, the Buddhist teachings are saying, no, (laughs) even this is not self. And so I find it very helpful if we can go back and understand how it is that we can detach from these other aspects and recognize that intention is operating in exactly the same way. If you can get a sense of a physical sensation that is arising out of conditions, right? You, you, you You can know that. You, you know, as a practitioner, you can see that that's happening of its own accord. So it helps to reflect and realize that intention is operating in exactly that same kind of way. It's arising out of conditions, out of the conditions of this moment. There's no self in it. There's no, no me making that happen. Now, those conditions, then then you sort of get the sense, well, well, how can I change it, you know? How can I possibly change it if it's arising out of conditions? But it is important to reflect that that what those conditions are is very much how it is that we dealt with it in the past and how it is that we felt the consequences of past intentions. So you see, karma has very much to do with it. It's like if you behave a certain way and you are present that experience and you are awake and alert to the consequences of that experience good or bad and you're there for that that presence of mind is what actually establishes the condition for the next moment okay so then that's how the, the change begins to take place it's very very subtle So already this is very, very radically different from any way that we've thought about it in the past. The the way that we act and the uh, sort of all of the conditions that proceed from that are highly, highly conditioned. They're determined by habit. So just to give you an example, um, you know, you get a sense of how compulsive all of our actions can be. And one of the time, one time my teacher said this to me, and it really rung true, you know. He said after he watched his mind, you know, for like 10 or 15 years, (laughs) he finally concluded (laughs) that it is all compulsion. Without awareness, it is all compulsion. You know, so I think, I mean, I like to say that there's, uh, we're sort of here uh, or not uh, not here 99.9% of the time, but I think that's a bit generous. You know, <laughs> it's like it's really <laughs> it's really more than that <laughs> that we're not here. So I was watching this friend. And I have a friend who has this um, uh, behavior of always wanting to tidy up. You know, and so she she just likes like she's the type of person when we sit down to eat. You know. Halfway through the dessert, she's thinking about doing the dishes, you know. And then right away after the meal is over, she's up and doing the dishes, you know. And, and things, you know, before retiring for the night, you know, that the coffee table is organized and the things are all off the counter and everything is put away, you know. And there's this incredible 
um, habit of tidying and keeping things orderly and neat. You know, and I've even seen her sometimes where we've been out and in a public bathroom, for example, she would start tidying up. You know, the, ca- the counters were messy, and so she'd get some paper towels and, and clean up and pick things up off the floor. You know, it's a very strong um, habitual tendency. You know, and something that you know, interestingly, she's aware of. But in terms of what happens in those moments when she sees things out of place, it's like the, this flood of um, impulse in the direction of doing something about that is very great, very, very compulsive. So that, uh, and it actually, there's, there's nothing wrong with being a tidy person. I don't want to give that impression. Um, it's just more, note, she's noticing the compulsive nature of it and wanting to kind of have some presence of mind in the relationship, relation to it, but not being able to. It's like it's, it's you know, the momentum of this uh, activity is so great that you can't quite do it, you know. So just getting a sense that this is the power of, of this force, very, very strong. So it, it, intention comes up on its own. Um, it's not under the control of a self. It's... It's, got, it's driven by habit and, and the force of habit. The, the second thing we learn about from the Buddhist teachings is that it's rarely conscious. Rarely conscious. You know, that's amazing. Uh, more often than not, it's totally operating below the level of our conscious awareness. So in, in the same way that many of our thoughts and our feelings go unnoticed or kind of occur outside the realm of our awareness, in the unawakened state, most of our intentions are unconscious. You know, my teacher Ajahn Suchita said that, uh, uh, that one of the most rare events in our experience as human beings is to actually see intention, <laughs> to actually be aware of intention as it's arising. So it requires a very highly refined level of awareness. And it's very subtle. It happens very, very quickly. So for those of you who've done um, retreats, you'll notice, especially on the longer retreats, that the way that the instruction goes is that, you know, first one is saying, well, begin to be, just be aware of the breath, you know, and be aware of various feeling, well, be aware of sound, be aware of feeling, be aware of thoughts. And eventually maybe into the second or third week of a longer retreat, um, the teachers are sort of guiding you to begin to become aware of intention. You see, if, see if you can notice, if, and this is the, really pointing to how still the mind has to get in order to be able to see actual, the actual arising of this impulse. And most people um, experience it almost kinesthetically, you know, it's like, uh, you know, it's like comes up like, you know, like a, it's almost like a burp about to happen. There's this movement uh, and arising of a, of a formation to, to do, to act, to, to speak in a certain way. Very, 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 very subtle. So what we're saying here is that the will to do things comes up quite involuntarily, and more often than not, it's unconscious. So... We don't seem to be in control of our actions, to choose skillful actions, in part because we're not skillful enough to pick up this subtle impulse, 
You know, it's like without a significant level of practice, you can't see it. You can't even see, you know, let alone get in there and have some control over it. Very, it's, it's highly, highly conditioned and highly subtle, mostly unconscious. So, you know, now putting all this stuff on the table, I don't know about you, but it's kind of like, wow. Well, you know, you sort of get a sense of our dilemma. Um, here we are, we want to wake up. And this thing right here, intention, is one of the most important activities of the mind and heart. That it's, it's, it's the biggest player in that process of waking up. And yet, when we look at it, it's, it's, it's not under our control. It's highly unconscious. It's so subtle. Most of the time we can't even see it. You know, how are we going to get in there and turn the tables around and, and actually uh, begin to move things in the direction of more conscious uh, activities? So just one more thing to add to the dilemma. Um, and that is, uh, it, it's kind of what I would call uh, maybe counter intentions or, and this is the one that I see most often in myself. It's like, you can have this uh, strong intention. Like someone was telling me the other day, you know, it's like, I really want to wake up. I really want to wake up. And yet I can't seem to do, I can't even seem to sit, let alone do the other things that it takes to, to wake up, you know. So there are, are so many other factors being brought to bear on any given moment, you know, than, than this, any particular intention that we might have and wish to act out of. That's not all that's going on, is it? There's like this huge, uh, you know, cascade of other intentions, counter-intentions. Yeah, I might want to wake up, but I'm really hungry right now. You know, I think I'll go get something to eat. Or, you know, I'm tired. I just want to go to sleep. You know, yeah, okay, I realize sitting is important, but, you know, <laughs> that's, that's what we'll do. You know, there's like this whole cascade of other impulses that are, the, 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 the power of these is unbelievable. It's huge. And actually, you know, that, that's not in an effort to, to make us feel burdened by it. I actually think that that is a very important thing to contemplate as practitioners. The sheer force of, the, of our own karma, of our own um, unawakened impulses that will take us in the direction of delusion over and over and over again, you know. And, and I actually, that, that can feel like a heavy thing to contemplate, but it's one of the things that I've, I've, in my own practice, I've really focused on in the last few years, where literally I am opening to and contemplating the extent of my ignorance. And I'm finding it a very, very happy contemplation. It's like, it's freeing, because it's like, oh my gosh. Well, no wonder. Look at what we are up against. You know, really put some, uh, really uh, recognize what this thing that we're engaged in is all about. Waking up is huge. I mean, it took the Buddha eons, you know, and others before, uh, before and after him. You know, so it's not, it's not, 
you know, like sometimes you almost hear practitioners walking around going, you know, oh, yeah, I want to be enlightened, you know, like it's this light, fluffy kind of thing, you know, which I think it probably is ultimately. But in terms of what what it is that it uh, we have to uh, stand up to in order to break through this level of delusion, it's huge. And I think that merits an, an, a really healthy respect. It's, it's almost like, you know, I, I get my hands in Anjali, I want to bow to it. You know, wow, this is, this is an amazing possibility, an awake human being. You know, we're not much removed from the animals in our condition right now. <laughs> the idea of being awake, it's, that's big. Let's give it the respect that, that it's due. You know, it merits that. But now, having said all of this, um, I think that it, it can also feel heavy if we think that waking up is the job of self. See, like what happens is this, this habit of thinking that we are in charge and we're running the show is so deeply rooted. It's a, such a deep delusion that it, it will gra- and it will grab a hold of anything and think it's the boss. It's in charge. It's the one that did it. It's the one that's going to do it. You know, all of that. And yet, it's a, it's a, it's a, it's actually an attachment to a view. It's just an idea. It's not real. And so, fortunately, we aren't the ones that get ourselves free. <laughs> it's like there's, that is not, it's not something that self does. Thank goodness. It's not a job for self. It's a job for awareness. Awareness is where it's at. And I mean, when, whenever we talk about, like uh, in, in meditation practice, that, that you have one job and one job only. I mean, how many times have you heard a teacher say this? You know, you have one job and one job only. Pay attention. You know, that, that we mean that. It's all right there. It's almost like it's like you just tune in to what is happening. If you can do that, and this is a process in itself, in such a way that you're not hating it, aversion, you're not indulging in it, therefore you're able to see it. You're not completely caught up in it. And you're not deluded about it. You're just seeing it. If you can relate to every moment's experience in that way, and that's the training, that's a process in itself, then everything that needs to happen will happen from there. Everything that needs to take place will happen. And intention will become purified because there's this natural organic process that takes place. If I am attending to this moment's experience and it's painful, it is a suffering state. I will know that. And then the next time the impulse to behave in that way or to go in that direction arises, it's almost like there's, a, there's somebody at the railroad ties, you know, changing the course of action. It's like the track turns, you know. It's like you started to go in that direction and then awareness or uh, the, the memory of past experience is brought to bear on that moment and a switch takes place. And this is all happening 
outside of the control of me. In fact, if I think that I'm doing it, then I'm probably going to get in the way. You know, it's like just, just the idea as practitioners is to settle back, to relax, relax and attend. And everything that needs to happen will happen out of that, um, that kind of practice. Can you feel that? It's huge. It's wonderful. I mean, I love it because it's so freeing, you know. And even understanding it in this way helps one to really get, uh, to forgive the, the ignorance of the past. It's like, well, no wonder. I, you know, I, I haven't seen it like that. I haven't experienced it like that. You can, you can see how one could behave foolishly. And you could see how one can learn to behave wisely. In way, wisely meaning in ways that don't cause suffering, that don't cause harm in any way. This is our, this is actually our destiny, you know. This is where the, the process of waking up is taking us. And so our job is just to get out of the way, <laughs> if you will. <laughs> if you can feel that. So the whole of the Buddhist teachings is really contained in this axiom. Uh, do good, avoid doing evil, purify the mind. And that's that, the, the meditation practice that we do here is no less than that process. <coughs> you know, so it's, it's actually something, I, I think, to feel good about. Pat yourself on the back that you, you have enough understanding to uh, engage in that, in that process. So I hope this is helpful and kind of just uh, give some thoughts for reflection on uh, this topic and relax and settle uh, down about it. <laughs> okay. See, maybe I have a few few moments if anybody has some questions. Yes, yes. I'm not sure. Excuse me, I'm really honest. If we're not the CEO, yes. we're not running the show, <laughs> and awareness is, well, you have to look at it experientially. And that's where, you know, the, the, the teachings keep taking us back to experience, not uh, to our ideas. Look at the experience. And, like, um, in, it, there, is, there is awareness. But it's our, it's our experience. Experience of the awareness. Well, it means your own experience of that awareness. Yes and no. I mean, you, you just, just keep. Yeah, well, just keep looking, because uh, the actual direct experience of that, um, there isn't any buddy who is experienced. It becomes much bigger than that. It's almost like. The, the, the part of me that says that's my awareness actually is that movement of the mind that pulls me out of it. It's like what this, what this energy of self or this delusion of self keeps doing is it keeps taking the experience of this moment and owning it, you know, and, and grabbing it as its own. But the, 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 the teachings, and this, I, re- I recognize how subtle this gets, 
But the, the teachings are, are pointing us to that moment right there and inviting us to get to move our awareness to that level of subtlety and to see if indeed um, that movement of the mind to say it's my awareness isn't actually the very movement that takes you out of it. And when you are actually in it, is there anybody who is being aware? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yes. Do you have, could you recommend, please, some kind of daily practice that would make me more uh, aware of, aware of uh, my intentions? Well, um, a, a da- on a daily practice, I think you're probably already doing it. Um, to tune into um, what it is that you're experiencing at every moment. Um, and it's like the, uh, the consequences or the outcome of actions. That would be tremendously helpful. You know, if you can, if you get in there, and it's like so. So to do that, you have to maintain this state of heart and mind that is not critical, and that's that's a big order because our tendency is towards self-loathing and self-criticism is very great, and this is part of what's being conditioned out through the process of meditation, because you're not reacting. So literally, I don't care what you do. You have, you as a meditator have to tune into what that feels like without hating it. Without making it wrong or bad. It's too late. You just did it. You know? So it's just, <laughs> it doesn't make sense. I mean, at that level, it doesn't make any sense to hate it. But, you know, hatred as a react, as an emotional reaction is ridiculous when you get down to it. So tuning in at that level, then um, you'll, you'll start to work backwards. Yes? Yeah, I've been quote meditating or doing breathing exercises for 25 years and longer, and there's one difference in everything that I've ever tried or experienced, and that is absolutely nothing is wrong or right. The only difference in me is how still I am. Here, yeah. if I'm completely still, I could be so off the wall, total, full of, quote, colorful language, <laughs> colorful action. I mean, really almost antisocial. But if I'm totally so quiet within me, that's all that, that matters in consciousness for me. Yeah. It, it just blows my mind yeah. <laughs> that, that people put things, so many concepts on right and wrong and social acceptability or appropriate uh, uh, talk or action and all that. I mean, I, I could do everything right, but if my mind is going inside, mm. I feel like garbage. Mm, mm. That's all there is. Yeah. And I feel all the garbage from everybody else. Yeah. But if I'm totally still, I feel all the stillness from everybody. Yeah. It's, it's, it's <laughs> nice, nice. When we take refuge in Buddha, we're making intentions. This doesn't sound like the intentions you're talking about. No, it's not. Uh, and that's why I say that, you know, there is that in the practice. 
but that's not the uh, intention that we're talking about when we when we refer to the if, to intention as one of the five aggregates. It's a very subtle, uh, as I said, impulse, you know, volitional movement of the heart. So the intention that you're talking about, which is how we talk about it more in conventional language, you know, um, is is actually forming a resolve, perhaps, you know, like resolving to behave in a certain way. You do that with the precepts. You do that with the refuges, you know. And this is all very, very skillful. It it for it. it it can be a great help to um, uh, what it is, you know, moving that, move, moving your heart in the direction of what it is that you want. And the reason it does that is because you're actually set, it's like you're setting, uh, it, it really, at its purest level, it's an idea. It's using perception and ideas in the interest of waking up. It's a good idea to behave well. But at its purest level, it's what one is doing is actually attaching to a good idea, you know, and that's that's okay. I mean, it's not not all attachment is awful. So eventually, that gets cleaner and cleaner and cleaner, you know, and it just becomes the way it is. But in it, given that one is so caught up in bad ideas, <laughs> it's good to have to get a few good ones in there and be operating out of those. Is stillness the absence of intention? Uh, good question. Is stillness the absence of intention? He says. Um, I don't think that as long as one is alive, there there is any absence of intention. It's uh, that it's sort of like when we're born, you get issued the five aggregates. It's like, <laughs> <laughs> and they operate. So what happens more in the purification process is they operate in the interest of freedom versus delusion. Yeah. You turn them, kind of. Yeah. So the wrong thing to do would be try to get rid of the aggregates. We can't, as long as you're alive. You know, you can't. You, you don't. You you have a body and you have a mind, and this is how they operate. The point is, in practice, beginning to relate to them in a way that sees. Their um, sees them, uh, their functioning as not self. Yes, one more. Mm-hmm. Um, teachers always recommend that you never do anything that takes you out of your body. And, and to, to be aware of your body. And, um, I just wonder, why is that? Um, I haven't heard that. Um, Trying to think what they mean. Do you, do you, can you say more? Well, just that um, staying in your body and how your body is touching the chair and uh, yeah. all of that mm-hmm. is uh, maybe maybe it's helpful because you're not always just thinking. Yeah, yeah, that's okay. I, I'm with you now. Yeah, it's like a. In terms of what it is that, um, how, how to get anchored in the present, the body is probably the best uh, tool or experience that we have for that. You know, it's, th- it's through the body um, that the experience of the body is seeing, hearing, smelling, tasting, sensing, you know. And the, the fifth um, sense, the, the fifth of the um, five senses, 
that sensing is um, the experience of the four elements, earth, air, fire, and water. And the, the more that you can connect with the physical experience as moments of uh, the play of the elements, then the more pre- that, sen- that sense of presence is increased. So that uh, earth in particular has a very grounding effect. You know, when you tune into the butt, you know, or, or you tune in, you know, if you, if you were particularly like uh, getting flighty and, and uh, the mind was just kind of getting out there, you, you know, it might be a good thing to eat, to, to make mud pies, you know, or something like that, just to get anchored and, and rooted back in the earth. So it might be that that, that you're referring to. Um, and that, that it, it, you know, if you experience that, that it sort of has the energy of just pulling you down out of the head and out of thinking and, and uh, connecting more with the coarseness of the body. The mind gets very refined so that the body serves as an anchor. Even the breath can get very refined. I mean, sometimes I, I, don't, I don't even use the breath. You know, it's too, it's too subtle. <laughs> Sometimes when my mind is thinking, 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 the breath is not the anchor that I want to use because it feels too much like the same energy. You know, I feel the butt. Or I, go, or I take my socks off and go walk in the dirt. You know, something that gets you grounded. Yeah. So, so thank you.